0: You're kind hey, of blurry. Hey, you're blurry. Oh, am I blurry? Yeah. I mean, we don't want that. I don't know why. I don't look blurry to me. Well, maybe you're not blurry. Just in my <laughs> on my screen. I
1: know what you look know. like anyway, Jason.
0: All right. Well, it
1: I, looks see good man year, as, so. I see men as I see men as trees walking. <laughs> I need another another dollop of the spit in the mud. I'll be okay. <laughs> Um. Hey, man, we had hey. John Chafee on. Yeah, we and, did. Um, wow. Absolutely Great love God this God. guy. Yeah. Uh, found his YouTube channel. He has a little series on there on what is the gospel. And I would just encourage everybody to go check that out. Maybe let that be a launching point for your introduction to John and his ministry. Um, his YouTube channel is John John Chafee Talk, C-H-A-F-F-E-E but uh,
0: dynamite conversation today. Yeah. And his website is johnchafee.com. So you can find him there as well. And it was, a good, you've been telling me about him for months. And then I started following him on Twitter, uh, even months. It's been months now. And man, I love what he's running at. Uh, we talked about the restoration of all things. Uh, he shared a little I'm bit of his story. Basis. Yeah. <laughs> he shared a little bit of his story on the front end. Uh, where some major rethinking took place. He grew up in the church, and uh, and so he sh- shares a little bit of a pivotal moment um, in his life that led him down the road of the mystics and um, moving from Western thinking to, to more holistic or even Eastern thinking. And he's a smart guy, man.
1: Yeah, yeah, Brilliant. he he knows his stuff. He's uh, yeah. definitely dialed in on the Greek um, and the culture. Um, but I think yeah. you know, more than anything. He's a joyful guy, and uh, yeah. that speaks volumes, yeah, yeah. man. The joy that's on that guy's life, you know, and he shares a very difficult story from hardcore pastor church hurt. That yeah. uh, I don't know if anyone can top that story, but uh, our viewers, our listeners are gonna really enjoy listening to Chan today. He's uh, yeah. he's definitely tracking on the road to Emmaus with the
0: rest of us. Yeah, and you know, we got to the end, and even afterwards, we, we started talking about what God is doing right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether you want to call it deconstruction or, or pruning, the pruning that he talks about that that, that has been happening within our, our cultural understanding and Christian understanding today. And uh, it reminded me, we just had Taco Community, or Taco community. We just we just did it, and we started talking uh, with him a little bit about uh dreaming into what god has uh yeah and and what he's doing right now and i think john is on the on the front edge of that as well so it's really cool to introduce you to him and and uh just another amazing voice uh crying out the goodness of god yeah you guys are gonna love this conversation we're introducing you to a new friend hey guys just jumping on real quick to let you know that I'm here editing now and just discovered in post uh, that Derek's audio is a little bit glitchy and actually quite a bit glitchy. I did my best to edit it together, wanted to give you a heads up. I can follow him. I think you can too. Uh, I certainly feel like uh, John's interaction and mine uh, will bring clarity to some of what Derek shared as well, but I apologize for that. We're figuring out some new platforms. Um, Hopefully moving away from the one that we've been using as it tends to be problematic at times. So all that to say, this is an incredible conversation. Just wanted to give you a heads up uh, so that uh, you weren't um, emailing me and letting me know about it. I know about it. So sorry. Uh, I do think you'll enjoy this podcast. And we're working on the tech stuff. Appreciate you guys. Bless you. Yeah, man, it's good to meet you. Uh, Derek told me about you. Uh, I was telling you before we hit record uh, several months back, and I started following you on Twitter. And I was like, "Yeah," and I kept getting after Derek because he's like, "We're going to get this guy on," and I'm, it's really cool you're here. Hey, where are you from? Where are you? Where are we talking to you from? Tell us a sure. little bit about um, about where you're at and what you're doing right now. So currently, I
2: am a mile west of Philadelphia proper. So I'm like just outside of Philly State uh, City Lines. Um, but I was born in South Jersey uh, in Atlantic City. I grew up a surfer skater kid. And uh, to be honest, both my parents are educators. So I went to college. I went to Eastern University, got a degree in biblical studies, got to play basketball with Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne, just like some others. Okay. But then um, I went to seminary. I went to Palmer, got my MDiv. And... Almost, almost right away from seminary, I started having some level of deconstruction, but we didn't have words for it then. I feel like seminary is a pretty expensive way to start your deconstruction. But uh, from there, I worked at a church, and we'll talk about that. Did the Appalachian Trail, which was like a truly transformative and pivotal point of my life where I think I made the, sh- the full shift from theology to spirituality. Right. And really, since then, that's been my main emphasis, along with psychological, and emotional health, because those things just overlap so much. Yeah, yeah. Hey, yeah. John, why don't, you, Tony why don't you
1: unpack just unpack that a little bit for our listeners? Yep. The the going from theology to spirituality. What what was your, oh, what was your well, before
0: you, you do that? You're not you're not old enough to know Tony Capola. You played Tony Capolo, You played basketball with him. Yeah, yeah. He How was there, was there
2: with his grandkids. It's not like I was on the same team as him. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm like, man, you're not old. Enough. What? What? That's know, awesome. Right? Yeah, 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 I love that. Um, so, how do you define the shift from theology to spirituality? Yeah. For me, uh, I'm I might say in some level it goes along with uh, balancing out the Western and the Eastern mind. So in the West, we obviously think very Westernly, very much based on the enlightenment and theologic, right? However, the Eastern mind emphasizes paradox and mystery and nuance. And in some languages, you could say form or emptiness, which would be like, have a structure, have an experience. And yeah. so I think theology is very much based on having a structure which you can hold the parts of your life together a theologic and then you even make god fit in a box but spirituality is different because it's as i like to say spirituality is how the spirit does cpr in your soul Mm -hmm. and theologic is good and it seems wonderful because you can get degrees in it but i think we're kind of hitting an epoch in the american church where we're starting to realize information does not f- cause transformation
1: that's good but
2: vulnerability does that's good and uh i would say pretty much since 2015 i made a hard shift away from systematic theology and more towards contemplative spirituality cool so kind yeah. of a yeah. transition, basically right yeah but the the there's a little bit of a hiccup when we talk in that language i think because it assumes that there's a split in some sense, but we all know in our neurological system, the head and the heart are connected because the brain helps to organize the functions of the body. And even when we separate the mind from the body, it's like, well, there's nerve endings out to my fingertips that communicate with the brain. So like, is my brain really the size of my body? Right. You know? And so we got to, I understand the the head and the heart, and I'm trying not to be nitpicky. But not in yet. Hebrew, the word in Hebrew the word is levev, and the word levev means heart and mind at the same time.
0: We uh, we often talk about um, the Emmaus Road here um, because I see that that taking place there. Yeah, um, yeah. Know, from, from my upbringing uh, th- through the lens of logic and how how we were how we were raised. You know, I would have, I would have wanted to hear what Jesus preached. I would have wanted to know the the, the verses, you know, that the yeah. stranger preached. Uh, we don't actually have that, which is actually a gift, uh, <laughs> because we what's taking place then on that road is what you're describing. It's that head and heart thing that's taking place, and the yeah. heart recognizing that burning, uh, that realization mm-hmm. later that uh, they they were recognizing their heads just caught up. It was if that makes sense yeah but it was a holistic experiential and it was a knowing that is based on relationship which is what we talk about a lot here right um i'd be curious for you um 2015 was a was a a rethinking moment we often do the rethinking these moments where we we, we came into an understanding of who god was that he was better than we last thought yes that makes sense. um and 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 I've had some major shifts, and I think that 2015 was a major shift for you. Share a little bit of that story, because I think that's the catalyst to where we are today, eh?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because in 20, 2009, about 2011, I went to seminary and got my Master's of Divinity, and I read like all of Char- uh, Bart's Dogmatics right there, right behind me. uh uh-huh. so, I, I went head first into it. And it's because I'm an Enneagram five. So it's all about the head. Like, I just want to research everything because that's how you can protect yourself from hurt in the world if you just sure. know everything. Right. And then I worked under a narcissistic senior pastor who, ha- who had a series of affairs. And the most recent one was just with somebody that I was dating who had moved from Chicago. And I thought we were going to get married, but I found out very quickly something felt off in the, the culture of the workplace and there was starting to be like avoidance. You'd notice people go in certain doors and not out other doors, you know? And then the other staff sat me down to say, he took her to Barbados on church credit card.
0: Mm.
2: And that's how we discovered it. I, my life, I was, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I broke down crying then. The, I wept probably like a couple days later. And my brother was really kind. He came and stayed with me for like three days in my little one bedroom apartment. Um, and at that point, I was probably 28, 29. Yeah. And that was hard because he was also my seminary professor, huh. he was my church history professor. And so that also caused up a whole lot of controversy at the school because they started thinking, well, what was happening with him and the TAs that he had? Right. So it's I think matter. for me, this whole thing about the pastor burnout and the Me Too movement, I got front row experience to that at the start of that uh, – do, sure. do we want to say season? You know? yeah. <laughs> Um, So I stayed on staff for another – 2 years I did a lot of good work with the youth and they actually really helped me to have a routine but one christmas in 2014 my parents bought me this piece of camping equipment and it happened to be the last piece that I needed for this bucket list thing to do the Appalachian Trail and I was like yeah oh I could do this and so 2 weeks later on uh december 31st I said that I'm quitting they begged me to stay on till Palm Sunday, so I did. Uh-huh. But essentially, I dropped my keys in the back office on Palm Sunday and then drove down and started the Appalachian Trail. Uh, and it Where'd was you then six. It? Wait, what? Where'd you start it? Oh, in Georgia at Springer Mountain. Wow. Okay. So I drove down with two friends. And at that point, I actually thought to myself, I never want to step foot in a church again, never work in a church ever again. Right. And I think that's completely reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. However, I brought uh, the letters of St. Francis with me, which is very strange. Right. But then I also had like a digital copy of the dark night of the soul by John of the cross. Okay. And so I would hike all day long and I would talk with other people from other backgrounds of life they were Buddhists and trans and they were ex Marines and they were divorcees and they were parents that just buried their child. Mm -hmm. And I would sit around and have bonfire conversations with them. And I actually, we actually had a lot of Jesus conversations, but I actually think they trusted me because I said I left that world. Right. And I, I actually felt like that gave me more ability To talk to them because i didn't have a church to invite them back to right right um but really what happened is i got to about pennsylvania which is close to the halfway point i woke up one day and i thought oh i'm a full-out atheist now just that's it and so i remember i was backpacking i was walking through the cornfields of pennsylvania and you talking to god you weren't talking to god then at all or were you I was having experiences. Uh-huh. Okay, but I'm not sure. I would say I was talking. I was more uh, rage praying out loud. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's not. It wasn't not talking.
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: and yeah. I thought to myself, "Well, I just need to go wherever the truth is." And by the end of that day, I walked back into Christianity, but it was different because it was mystic Christianity. It wasn't a theological one. It was a mystical one. It was an experiential one. And the way I think of it is I had to let go of my understanding of God so that I can be held by a larger version of God that I could never comprehend. And so really at that point, I started talking about the mystical tradition and contemplative Christianity um, with other hikers. And then they said, you should start a podcast. So then I did. Just for my hiker friends. And then it is what it is. And I just ramble at it and I interview a few people. But um, I got to say, I think then I came back from the 18. I worked at another church that said it was about transformation, but it was really all about information that said it cared about experience. But what it really cared about was predictable experience and a God that could still be um. Yeah, predicted. And I had to walk away from there because I felt as though, and this might be a controversial statement. I think you guys might understand though. I actually felt like if I were to stay at that second church, it would actually be causing me to go backwards in my journey. And so I was like, I think I've outgrown pastoral ministry in the way that it's expected to be done today in the Northeast. And I think that that's okay thing to admit. Some people can't imagine. What do you mean? You're leaving the church because of what you think you're being called to do? I thought being a pastor is the highest, most wonderful thing you could do for the kingdom. Sure. Like actually, sometimes the most helpful thing you can do for the kingdom is disrupt the institution. (laughs) So I'm happy to chat anywhere you want to go. I know I just said a lot, but yeah, John. I'm first of all so sorry. for what happened in, in that
1: experience yeah. with Patrick and the girlfriend. I just, uh, that had to be so traumatic. And But mm-hmm. it was a good list for where you are now. And it uh, sounds like Appalachian may have been your road to a Emmaus. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, you know yeah. that we're, we're all on. We're all still on now. But uh, thanks for sharing that. Be vulnerable and open about all that. Uh, and I'm glad you started a podcast i wanted people there because uh your voice has been just ringing out in my ears uh and adding a lot of language to the things that we've experienced it's like the experience comes first language comes second
0: here's the thing i i too tried to make the shoe fit again uh, you oh, know the fact- really? I'm going yeah. to work in a church again, and then you went back to a church. It's because it's all we knew. It's what ministry. But the, right. the more expansive the love of God is, the more expansive the good news, the more I realize that ministry is a way more expansive Understand. I have a way more expansive understanding yeah. around yeah. that as well. I, I love what's happening on Sunday mornings. To, uh, you know, I realize that there's all kinds of – I'm convinced that God's everywhere, so he's there too. <laughs> you and know, I've seen
1: Saturday, I've, night. He's, Saturday
0: <laughs> night, but we're doing it. But, but I have this expansive view of ministry, uh, but I know for years I tried to make, um, I, you know, I've been on staff and I try to make this fit. And all I did was right. I was an irritant. I was, I was sandpaper.
2: <laughs> right, right. And yeah. just recently, well, redemptive circle, I've been dating a, a sweet gal, Jess, for like the past few years, really since partway through COVID. She's got a background in family therapy. And so, like, the conversations we have about understanding a church culture and workplace from, like, a family systems theory, just on a larger scale, has been so um, reorganizing for myself and for my heart. So, she's actually just wonderful. So, I need to give her a shout-out. But, (laughs) um, yeah, I think some people, they do try to go back to the machine. And it doesn't work because, actually – that person wasn't made for the machine. Right. And I, I, I can kind of see, um, <sighs> I, I, I think I need to. I want to bring up Job before we talk about the, what is the gospel? Because how do you um, talk about Job today and, and how it's understood, I think really frames a lot of this. And I think for us to have a passage in the old Testament called Job, That's all about a guy who has everything collapse around him. We all know that part of the story. But then to just say it's about a guy who still worships God regardless. I think is a broad overgeneralization and sweep over the real nuance of this obscure Hebrew wisdom literature. Yeah. Now, it's because we think... That the name Job might be referenced to a word Oyeb, which means lawyer. And what if we were to see Job as if it's a story about a man who had wrongdoing happen to him and then decides to take a lawsuit to God and his friends come and help him plan a pre-trial? Right. And they're like, no, no, you must have done something wrong. It's like, no, 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 I didn't do anything wrong. It still went to crap. If I were to meet God, this would be my lawsuit. And you're like, oh. And then God shows up and has a counter lawsuit, which is funny. Um, he didn't expect God to show up. But how beautiful that at the end of the story, not just he gets blessed again, but God says, Job spoke well of me. But he says, Job spoke well of me. And he's the guy that had a lawsuit against me. And I, I can kind of see this logic plan out that I can't bring my lawsuit against God. That's unfaithful. But the brilliance of Job is that that is what faithfulness is. Like there's a there's a brilliant part of the the Hebrew Bible that we are supposed to shake our fists against the heavens when everything goes to heck. You know, and I think that would be really helpful rather than just being like deny your pain, repress it. Who cares if bad stuff happened to you? Still worship God regardless. He's always good. You shouldn't be angry. I, I, it's just emotionally unhealthy. Yeah. I like that man. I You're so good, so good. It I changes uh, Joe. It, it really
1: does. And I mean, guess the, the other thing. See, in Job, that God was pleased to him his yeah hardness and brokenness. Uh, uh, yeah, that's been my experiences. Even when I. Know on the Appalachian trip or gone away, he never, he never left. He always continued yeah. to pursue, no matter what. Um, those, those guys, I yeah, mean, I think it's kind of, kind of like uh, it's redefining a lot of scripture and bringing, bringing the Jesus' perfect theology into the, con, into the conversation. God, Jesus is what God has to say about himself, let's start and let everything else do what yeah. else.
0: You know, I was raised in a, a loving home. I, I think that I read that about you too, John. Yeah, my um, family was great growing up. Yeah, and and so I was re- raised with God in the relational context of me, which has saved me all along the way when I've gotten other, other theology or other teaching. God is mm-hmm. love, but there's always a but. God is good, but. God is yeah. grace, but. God is merciful, but. And of course, then I've I've been given the Bible through this literal, inerrant lens, yep. where when I read Job, I had to value what what Job perceived God to be like uh, as equal to how Jesus reveals Him. That's right. Um, I've had several Appalachian or Appalachian moments in my life, fists, but even those fists for me um, were authentic because it was always in the context of relationship. Oh yeah. So if I'm shaking my fist, I'm still shaking it to a God that I know loves me because I've had encounters, experiences. I guess for me, I've had experiences all along the way. Mm-hmm. And those are the, those are the things that have sustained me past these flawed perspectives and mm-hmm. have allowed me to, to discover what you're talking about in Job where some of what was taking place to me, and I would love your thoughts on this with Job, is, is that uh, he had some pers- perspectives on God that weren't true and and was it was almost like he was almost like Abraham and, and Isaac going up a mountain. God, Abraham had perspectives on God that yeah. weren't true. Like God requires child sacrifice. That was a flawed perspective. And that the whole story is, uh, when God shows up, He actually is like, "Hey, you actually don't have a clue who I am." And then He spends how many chapters saying, "This is who I am." Yeah. And, and to be able to do that, but through the lens of Jesus, made Job safe for me again. I, I don't know if that's Maybe. landing for you or...
2: No, no, no. That, But I'm fascinated by the language. It made Job safe again, which makes me hear there was a season where Job was dangerous for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because... So I mean, you didn't say the word dangerous. How was Job dangerous for you then?
0: Well, if you're reading, and this is where I, I, that language stuff, I, I, I love that... Uh, The idea of talking to somebody else, even different culture, because you get—I love this this with expressive language to know God Uh, as a writer. That that stuff gets me excited. A new way to see or say something about Him. Uh But raised in the evangelical church, or at least in that mindset, where where um, I had to read, I had to read. Here's the thing: um, the disciples want to call fire down on a city
3: right mm-hmm.
0: well why well, they had biblical precedents, um and in their minds god did that sort of thing and, and then jesus who is what god actually is like turns yeah. to them and says hey guys like i can appreciate uh i can appreciate that you uh you believe that about me but you know not what spirit you're of uh, i've actually come to save men's lives not destroy them wow and he reset the lens for yep. how to actually perceive that that Old Testament story, well, before I had Jesus as that that I, Jesus has always been my friend, but I I wasn't allowed to read Scripture through a Christocentric hermeneutic until yeah. only recently, uh-huh. and so I would go back to to Job and I would have to tiptoe around what Job was describing and and the the idea that the I here's another and this this is directly to that the idea that God made a deal with Satan. Oh to right. T- job well you've got a new testament story and it's nothing like that it's peter going into the garden and jesus makes it clear satan has asked to sift you as wheat he doesn't say i gave him permission which Uh is what we read in job he actually says satan has asked to sift you as wheat and then he says but i've prayed for your faith so on the other side of this you can turn and be life to your brothers so now we get to reset our lens on a conversation had between jesus And Satan, Jesus is revealing that he doesn't make deals, death deals with the devil to kill all your kids and your wife and so on and so forth, which was how I had to read Job until Um. I got a Christocentric lens. So that's what I mean by it was dangerous. You're right. It was dangerous. This is why some of the early rabbis said that
2: no one should be a disciple until they're at least 40. (laughs) Yeah, because you haven't seen enough of life. You haven't experienced your own tragedies your own successes you haven't seen enough pain in the world your your perspective of the world is still black and white it's not nuanced by maturity yeah and i think that we actually have a we have a lot of pastors that are probably in their 60s but they're still they're still thinking like they're in their 20s they still see the world in black and white thinking um and then they force the world into that black and white thinking and it just crushes people.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would say I, I had to navigate under that. I, that's really, that's keen, man. That's, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm doing more talking than you, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure your listeners already know like the word repent in new Testament actually means to change your mind, right? Yeah. That's or metanoia. Yeah. Uh, Cynthia Bergeau in her book, the wisdom Jesus, I think she talks about how it's we we would be better to think of it in like an iOS update on your phone. Hmm. And how if your phone is getting clunky and slow, it's because you're still on iOS update four and we're up to like 17 now. <laughs> and I like the idea that repentance or or rethinking your faith is actually, it's starting to get a little clunky now. I need to do an upgrade. Love Not dismiss it, but maybe I need to learn how to reword certain parts that are actually holding back my own growth and health and holiness, the parts of my own life and spirituality that are maybe creating more obstacles for others rather than removing obstacles. So for me, repentance has even taken on this perpetual upgrade-ness, quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that
3: make sense?
1: Yeah, that's so- It's not I, a I, one and I, done deal. I love the dark what? of 20 and that metaphor uh, you know for me when I kind of discovered that repentance at Anoya was not rocking, begging um, you know, um, anguishing, lamenting over all sins to somehow you know earn this new pleasure that I found God had in me. I had to grovel a little bit. Once I kind of learned <laughs> it, it was basically change your mind but but then I was hit okay but I don't understand anything. And I remember very clearly that's right. statement came huh. to me and it, it was, you forfeit peace that passes understanding when you understand everything. This is what I to see in my life. And I Absolutely. remember letting go, trying to have to be certain about everything or trying to figure it all out. And like, okay, I'm just going to navigate this, but I'm doing so with Jesus as a perfect image of the Father. Jesus mm. this is what God has to say so, so long as I held out rosetta Stone, that really oh. was the, the foundation to everything we're in here. So and I, uh,
0: I would say this and you can add to that, but we have this statement uh, we talk about the Derek of 20 20 iterations ago because <laughs> repenting for me oh, yeah. was as much about not just as much about what I believed about God, but also what I believed about humanity and myself and, and, and coming into oh, an yeah. the value that God has for me revealed in Christ.
2: Right. Um, you and
0: know? it's so unfortunate because it's
2: like, um, the institution that's supposed to help us to see the world as Christ does, you know, like Philippians two, five, put on the mind of Christ. It doesn't say think like a Presbyterian, <laughs> nothing like a Catholic. It's like, how do you look at the world? Like how Christ does. Yeah. And uh, it's so unfortunate that the institution that's supposed to help us to think like Christ actually encourages us more to just stay obedient to authority figures. Right. Yeah. And that's that's completely strange because if, if you were to ask Jesus, who's the authority figure? He, he would kind of look around. And he's like, well, whoever's got a towel around their waist and is starting to wash p- other people's feet. So, yeah. so Jesus good. is also not a new pharaoh and i think sometimes we tend to think about god as if god is like some cosmic pharaoh but christ comes to say god is utterly other than we can comprehend yeah well i think the other
1: hermeneutic that went by was god is love period if god is love and jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father jesus means to truly love and truly be human and, and so that's right. Coming as follower is the, the invitation of spirit love to, to awaken Christ in you, the hope of authority, to begin that, that that transformation process. That's that's the that to me the rubber for me to road. If there's no transformation, then you know what are we talking about? Right,
2: right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> speaking of transformation, it's like I uh, so I know nothing about the world of wrestling, like nothing. However, everybody knows The Rock and everybody knows Hulk Hogan uh-huh.
0: and all these others. Uh-huh. But Do you gents, hey, do you guys know a fabe K- K-Fabe? You're punk rock. Punk rock doesn't know oh, yeah, yeah, It's true. <laughs>
2: uh, have you guys ever heard of K-Fabe?
0: Yes, percent i read.
2: Okay. It's, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe. A K-Fabe is apparently that culture that surrounds the performance of world wrestling because everybody always asks like is it real is it fake are they really having this drama and then they get in spandex and beat each other up is this real is it fake and in front of the cameras there was like a, a need to maintain the narrative that this is real but then they started having cameras behind and in the hallways and people started asking like wait it's not real so they had to expand the circle of where the performance happens beyond just the, the four-sided uh, square, right? Right. And I started drawing connections between that and an information-focused church culture. We come together and we have a narrative that we're healthy, that we aren't angry, that we don't have bitterness, that we don't have any issues with God, that we're all certain of our faith. and and here's our supreme leaders up in front, and they're all perfect and pristine, and we all shake each other's. So I I will approve of your facade if you approve who my facade is, you know. And I I think I started realizing like, oh, this is all kayfabe. And I started wondering what does it look like to have a church that is willing to announce the internal emotions truthfully. So at the last church, I started naming my emotions out loud, which as an Enneagram five. That's a very healthy thing to do. Start engaging my emotions more, right? Not three days later. And uh, I started hearing stories. And I'm like, okay, wow, that makes me angry. And I saw how that made other people so uncomfortable. I wasn't yeah. even saying it to make them uncomfortable. I'm naming it for myself because I need to name my emotions for myself. It just so happened for me to do that made other people uncomfortable. But I think that's why some people really broke look character. at. is that That's what you're saying. You you broke character, is it? That's true. Yeah, so, I broke, kayfabe. broke I, kayfabe. I stopped acting the persona that I was hired to be. Yeah. And I started trying to be authentically myself, which Thomas Merton would say, you're living from your true self instead of your false self. And. It's like uh, Luke 18. Is that the one where the public, the Pharisee is up in front and he's beating his chest. I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. Right. Um, That whole culture of performance and acting. You can play that game for a while, but after a while you realize it's not even worth the paycheck. (laughs) So (laughs) I
0: remember I was on. I brought a, a friend into lead worship and uh, we were sitting on the front row and I was really wrestling with that right there. Fab, is that what it's called? Yeah,
2: that, I, that I might one. be mispronouncing I it.
0: an indie rock guy. That's me. So I'm wrestling yeah. with it. And I, I, I whispered over to him, I, I said, man, you couldn't pay me to go to this church. And then he looked at me and said, dude, you're on staff. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Guys, my book is out, Leaving and Finding Jesus. If you've already read it, I would be so grateful if you would go to Amazon and write a review. This actually helps the rankings. It also helps people trust the book before they buy it. Uh, Thankful for you for that. And also so thankful for all the support that's come in over the last little bit. We're just just blown away, blessed by folks' generosity. You know, A Family Story is a nonprofit. This is a listener-supported podcast. And uh, we're just so grateful to be on the journey with you. Guys, we're so thankful for you. Praying life, joy, and wonder over you today. All right, let's get back to the podcast. We have that phrase uh, that sustained me through many things. And and it's, I don't know, but I've said it on here often. Yeah, that's and it's, good, Jason. And it's good as Jesus defined it. So, you know, because a lot of people... They'll go, Oh, he's good, meaning everything's going to be great. I'm like, Well, Jesus went to a cross. So, so yeah. I'm not saying I don't know, but it's easy and life is easy. I'm saying I don't know in the midst of a storm, but he's good as Jesus revealed him. And in wow. that place, I, I can put my faith. Uh, to me, that's Abraham going up the mountain, saying by faith, Abraham believed that God would raise him from I don't know, but he's good. And that, to me, that is faith. It's why Abraham is actually mm. the father. Of our faith is wow. uh, is well, to I mean, live in the mystery. Of- I think it, it it
1: simple, that this God was demanding the sacrifice of His Son in the context of His day and age was well, yeah, that's what the God does. we do that. Of course, God has revealed Himself in like these in pieces and fragments. He kind of lets kids tell His story, but now the time He's saying, "This is my kid, and this is who I am." This is absolutely full revelation of of God's love yeah.
2: well Go ahead, speaking Go ahead. of the upgrading i think there was uh, something that happened on the at was every part of christianity that started to feel ugly let's say it that way i i didn't want to throw the whole thing out because i was raised in it it's like a part of my dna it's in my bones but there was something, there was something lovely in finding out that the, the rabbis used to look at the same passage from 70 different angles, you know? And I once I started giving myself permission to have multiple interpretations of the same thing, then I would just search until that part of Christianity became beautiful again, or that yeah. part
0: became beautiful again. Love that, man. Love and
2: that and so um. The the next book, which is book number three, is being edited right now, and that one's like sixty of those little upgrades, of which are like, oh, this was a part that seemed ugly to me. Here's how I found another way of interpreting it that made it beautiful for me again. And I, I think since I left the the last church, maybe like a year and eight months ago, I've been meeting with pastors and. Church workers, ex church workers, people that never attend church, and my goodness, we talk about faith and God and like the Sermon on the Mount one time for like four hours, and I'm like, something is going on here because the true, the true, the deepest wisdoms of Christianity are always timeless. Yeah, and good. if you can dig it. Dig into it deep enough and you can find a, a diamond in the rough, it's worth the effort to find a way to make that part of it beautiful again. And the that. the fascinating thing is, as I've done church history and gone further back than just like the past hundred years or prior to Luther in the first thousand years, pre-constantine, like if you go all the way back, I guarantee you can find somebody that says it. In a better way. And yeah. uh I really think part of the issues that we have in the world today, right now, in Western Christianity, is because we've forgotten what we've already said in so church good. history.
0: Yeah. You know? I love that we're we're rediscovering our native tongue is, is the way yeah. I've, I, I've let's I've switch foot. Is that they had an know. album called native tongue, yeah. I, I love that. The, I, this is what I love though, to, to make the gospel beauty or to, to find that beauty that, that tells you, um, very much, even what you were raised, there was a relational connection always at the beginning. Love was always at the, because if you're yeah. looking for beauty, it's because you know, it's there. It's because you're, you, you this isn't it. And so we're, we're still looking for, yeah. and you actually, when, when I, I, we sent you some questions and you answered them in, oh, yeah. in a very thorough way, by the way, which I love, but you talked, we talked about apocastasis and one, oh, uh, yeah. maybe we dive into that, but you said during these conversations around that subject, the idea of apocastasis comes up and they almost, the people you talk to, they almost all receive it so well. And then they tell me how it is such a, and I love this, such a better gospel than yeah. the one they were handed or told to preach. Right. And there would have been a time when I would have heard a better gospel, and I wouldn't even know what to do with that because I thought I had the right. gospel. Right. But these days, we're we're like, this is what we do in the podcast. It's better. No, no, there's a better <laughs> gospel, and yeah. and even better tomorrow than it was today. Talk a little bit about that, yeah. man. I love that language. Um. I.
2: Probably here's the first instance of a pocket stasis or stasis for me. And then I'll I'll say the quote that really launched the whole thing. Is uh I used to be an intern for my home church in the summers in high school, and I would go and do these hospital visits, and it was cool because I would have the pastor, Pastor Jeff, to myself, and I would rifle him with every question I could. And uh, I don't know if he was annoyed, I don't know if he enjoyed it, but he seemed to enjoy. He seemed to. And at one point I remember asking, like, why would God have loved damn people to hell in any capacity? And he just kind of kept driving. He was like, well, in Revelation, it says that there seals and bowls and trumpets. And they all get opened. And then it says there's thunders. But we don't know what the thunders are. And he said, I wonder if that means God's got an ace up his sleeve. And that that clicked. I was like, oh. And then Julian of Norwich did it. She talks about how all things will be well. And everybody knows that quote. Maybe it's a bumper sticker. But she said, all will be well, all will be well. And then the, the church hierarchy asked her, what does that mean? And she was very coy. She said, oh, I don't know what that means, but there's a secret in God and God will reveal that secret someday about how all will be made well. And that was another click. I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I think really the the full swing that actually happened was I started studying spiral dynamics, and at least in this capacity, that We have a a growing circle of concern ourselves, our family, our neighborhood, our church, our state, our nation, the globe, you know, keeps growing. And as I was studying it, it said the highest level of consciousness or awareness or or thinking is when you think about the whole of everything. I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's what the word Catholic means. Concerned with the whole of everything. I was like, oh, okay, Catholic. So I Google searched the word all for every time it happens in the New Testament. And I was surprised and disappointed at the same time. Because I was like, wow, look at all these passages that say the word all. And then I thought to myself, how disappointing these passages aren't in any lectionary reading. Huh. So the three-year lectionary of the church avoids most of these passages that talk about the restoration of all, the reconciliation of all, the renewal of all. And so I started feeling as though there was a conspiracy that was keeping a larger Christianity from me. I was like, oh, it's right here in our Bibles this whole time. But we cherry-pick the parts of the gospel readings that make it seem tribal. Right. and exclusive rather right. than it being inclusive and rescuing of everyone and everything everywhere from right. every when you're like right this it blew my mind right yeah and then you right. realize this is i'm just quoting the bible <laughs> <laughs> it's like what's happening here you know so
1: yeah uh, you're saying i read athanasius and that yeah that started changing it for me like you know man was in Mm-hmm. What was it got to do? And then you you know you work forward to to on uh, our knowledge of who Jesus was and what he did cross. and uh, you start losing uh, uh, eternal consciousness thoughts. You start losing you know, penal yeah.
2: thoughts. And uh, uh, one of the clobber passages that sometimes happens is is it Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats? where it says that the sheep, they did the right thing, and the goats, they did the wrong thing, so they'll be sent off to eternal punishment. And the goats are like, hey, we would have helped you if we knew it was you, but nobody told us it was you. You know, right. So they kind of get a bad rap. But when it says eternal punishment, the phrase in, in the original Greek is kolosin ionion, which means kolosin is correction, curtailing, and even pruning, like pruning a bush.
3: yeah.
2: And Ionion is where we kind of get the word eon or era. And that's a finite time. And so we have to ask this question, like, wait, are they being sent away to a- eternal punishment for something they would have done better if they had the knowledge, which so- sounds cruel? Or are they being sent away for an era of pruning? And that changes everything. Sure. So uh you guys, do you have kids?
0: Yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: If you found out your child had a cancer growing right next to their heart or in, in their lung or whatever, yeah. you would harness the fury of all of your love, not on the entirety of the child, but on that cancer. Yeah, that's right. And destroy that. And that's I think right. if that if we who are evil, yeah would do that how much more so would God that's, laser focus the wrath of his grace upon everything
0: that pulls us apart that's the, for me uh, wow. I refer to myself as a relational theologian right um, okay yeah and, and and for me I I love these conversations because John you're so well studied and so you're giving us the Greek and and, and I'm and I'm so grateful for all the all the roads that get us to this yeah. holistic good news and uh, my journey is one in which you just hit it for me i'm like if jesus came to show us the father yeah and he came to to live in the context of that relational dynamic not to show us where we can go when we die or how bad we are we already knew that but to reveal to us what it looks like to live in union to to only do what the father's doing and only say what he's saying not out of some robotic um the algorithm but actually out of intimate relational connection that the things yeah. that jesus wants to do are the things that are burning in the heart of the father and mm-hmm. vice versa you know i i remember when i saw a preacher said he only said the things that his father said and i went into the garden of gethsemane and he said not my will but yours be done mm. and i'd always yeah. been told that somehow there was some cosmic disconnect in this moment instead it was jesus Echoing his father's heart, not my will, but yours be done, and suddenly you realize the depth of their friendship and union. And oh, so, for me, yeah. you, what you're talking about the, the way that I i got here, uh, is, is through the context of being a dad, oh, uh, and yeah, of seeing Jesus reveal my father, knowing, uh, you know even a father who's who has a, it was the scripture if if your child asks for bread you wouldn't give him a stone how much better is our heavenly father right and so for right. me um that's been the journey and it's a safe journey because i can go man I, this is i found out i'm an ultimate reconciliationist just because some smarter guy who's done all the studying wouldn't come on the podcast because uh, his, his email to me was hey jason i'm not an ultimate reconciliationist So I had to go look it up. That's how I'm wired. Okay. Clearly, I am. (laughs) Clearly, he wants to think I am. Let me go find out what that is. Uh, I think I am. But I am (laughs) because Jesus revealed God as a father, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 And
2: when you start reading passages like in Romans 5, too, uh, 5 as well, where it says, as in Adam, all were brought to death. Or death came to all. So yeah. in Christ, all will be made alive. All oh, there it is. Like, why aren't we talking about any of these passages? But that's a big one. It was really yeah. funny. I once had conversations with the pastor, who it was in a stairwell. And he's like, "So John, you're a universalist." I said, like, "I didn't say universalist." He's like, right. "No, you are." I said, "No," Right. I said, "I believe in the reconciliation of all things and the restoration of all." Yeah. I'm quoting Peter and Paul. Yeah, so do you yeah. have a problem with me or do you have a problem with Peter or Paul? Right. And I could see like his brain started glitching. <laughs> like, like, What what, uh, what do you mean Peter and Paul said this first? Yeah. yeah. I love that,
0: man.
3: Yeah.
2: For me, it's it,
3: yeah, it, it all up out. It
1: should have been yeah. a question this many times before. How can what had a universal, but what happened to Christ be limited? Use those terms things. universal yeah. and limited oh. deliberately. was like, really going to the tone. It's like, no, we all believe in this. In the universe. We're all universalists. We're, we're concerned. <laughs> but some we yeah. limit weapon in we're writing on the of the text of the, the bolt This tradition goes, goes that out of the letter. So you start asking people that question. And they, want, they want Jesus to be the big winner, right? It's just there, man. You know? Oh, yeah, uh, and yet, yet still this universal nature, in them is somehow more power, powerful than the happened at the cost. Yeah. That, that's what I love your
3: analogy, really-
0: yeah, and I love your analogy, John. That, that it's not ignoring the cancer, like that's no. the when people want to talk about universalism, they think that I've you know, when they want to uh, say that, use that language with you. It's because they they, they suddenly think we don't care about sin or the consequence. And I'm like, no, we That's care. Right. It's it, it it's, a father doesn't ignore the cancer. It's it's the very thing that he's after to to see us right. set free from, to see us whole right. from. And uh, man, I'm
2: on board with that. So Romans two talks about all will be held accountable each to what they have done. First the Jew and then the Gentile. I remember reading that back in the day and thinking it doesn't say Christian or non-Christian. It says everyone will be held accountable. So there is a sense of like you, everybody can be brought back into the fold. Christ says there are sheep of mine in another pasture that I must bring in. Right. So, okay. But everyone needs to be held accountable or everyone will be held accountable. So, don't go off and ruin your life because your selfish impulses from immaturity. But then the other one is actually the the Acts three passage where it says, "Repent, hold on, repent and return to the Lord, so that your sins might be wiped away, that your souls might find you refreshing, for Christ is waiting in heaven until the day will come when He will restore all things, as foretold by the holy prophets of old." Okay, repent. Word all again. I know, right? Uh, repent, rethink everything, yeah. and then return. That's the Hebrew understanding of repent, return to your very goodness. But it doesn't say that your sins might be wiped away in the future. It so that your sins are wiped out now. Turn your life around, have Zacchaean level repentance. Everyone that you've wronged, make fourfold recompense so that your relationship with them is better than it was before you messed it up. Yeah. That's and good. then that word refresh is actually in Greek, it's uh, anitsuke or something like that, which means to be resold, have a new soul given to you again, because you've turned away from all of this and you've made right with everyone you've wronged. But I love the passage. I mean, apoketistasis means when the moon has done a full orbit back, when the sun has gone its full circuit when the exile has returned home, when the debt has been repaid. And then he realized, oh my gosh, that's all of the atonement theories wrapped up in one word. (laughs) That's good. And then when we say, I mean, this was the really big one for me in some ways because I, I always held out. Well, what if that's not the case? What if all the prophets with all their doom and gloom and damnation, that's still there. But here's Peter saying, as foretold by the prophets of old. It's almost like Peter saying, I know they had dark stuff to say, but on the whole, I, Peter, interpret all of the previous prophets as concerned with restoration, not damnation. That's good. And so if the if the first pope of the church reads all of the prophets and still says they're they're about restoration, then I think we should too. Well, that's and, pretty I mean, good. Yeah. Reading.
1: Uh, Jesus comes along and does this with his unra- the scroll in Isaiah when he says, you know, today's scripture is fulfilled uh-huh. years. But he, he didn't read the whole thing. He left the day of events uh-huh. and God's wrath off.
3: Why did he do that? That's true. Yeah,
2: Jesus doesn't ever quote a a judgmental or damning or violent passage in the old testament
0: yeah 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 you have heard it said but i say that's right yeah yeah
1: Yeah. jesus is what has to say about him and so you know it it kind of it's about humanity yeah so that people have a true understanding what was that on?
2: and about humanity yeah oh and about yeah i i actually like this as this uh statement from i think it's it might be from carl bart it might actually be somebody else but when humanity interrogates gods asks god what are you like god says jesus christ okay that's your answer but then the same is back when god says humanity what are you like we get to say jesus christ <laughs> that's
1: so good and so
2: he fulfills the covenant from both sides Yeah. That's awesome. And so you're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Christ really is the fulfillment of everything that everyone's ever wanted, even on God's side. Wow. Yeah. Why aren't we talking about that, man? That preaches. I think that's called a better gospel. (laughs) Yeah. But instead, moralism makes us feel good because we can compare ourselves to other people. But, uh, I mean, I already mentioned to you that I used to be a life. Uh, I used to. I grew up at the beach, which means my summer jobs was as a lifeguard. And there's something called implied consent. When you go out and somebody's drowning and they say I don't want to be saved and they they go underwater, you actually legally are allowed to let them go unconscious because they said they don't want to be saved. But they start floating. You can grab them, pull them to shore, give them CPR, and they come back to life. And they might then be like, "Oh, I'm so glad you saved me." And so I love this idea that God is actually like a divine lifeguard. It's like, Oh, you don't give consent yet. It's okay. I know one day you're going to be very glad that I saved you from your own self-destructive behaviors. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, in in the fact that I talked with him. Yeah. We, we love him. him, But he he talks about love requires consent. Actually, it's it's into a context of understanding God's control. That's, power or God. use words like control and poverty um, yeah. sovereignty and power and yet the Bible says that the greatest is love and so mm-hmm. to me the control isn't God either causes everything or allows everything to pass through his hands. The aspect of the authority the power, the sovereignty of love is that love will have the final because it's an irresistible yeah. thing. You will consent to yes it doesn't, it
2: doesn't deny free will of course free will that's uh, it's so there's a a water wheel cycle that happens i just discovered a new word like uh maybe just a few months ago uh, we all yeah. know that word kenosis right the the yes. self-emptying of the christ yeah. um he, he pours himself out perpetually i found out that in the new testament there's the inverse word as well which is pleurosis which is being emptied is kenosis. This is being filled. Yeah. And we we love talking about Christ as being filled with the fullness of God. Yeah. But Ephesians talks about us being filled with the fullness of God yeah. with the same word. Yeah. And so there's this beautiful thing that really happens when you give up moralism, when you give up control, and when you give up any hint of a damning God, and you start trying to live from love that gives itself. It's that self-emptying that paradoxically makes you also feel full yeah. again.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well,
2: and that's so when we, you serve your friend and your you love your neighbor well and you pour yourself out for
0: the world, somehow you feel the most fulfilled you've ever been in your life. Well, and that's that's how it works in, in our relationship with with God. We love because He first loved.
2: Uh, so yeah. it is yeah, a, yeah. It
0: is a, you know, even I, I've always often said, you know, Jesus gave us love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, your neighbors, yourself. And I'm like, but none of that's possible to the, it's only possible to the extent we are loved because you can only give away what you've received. It's that, I love yeah. that, that that's so yeah. beautiful, man. That, yeah, that's I, my I new another, favorite word.
1: Another, uh, you know, legal corroboration that is Romans five five. <laughs> Endless love of God is cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. He's filling us oh, wow. to the fullness with his love. Talk about the hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. Yeah, with his love. yeah. I like that yeah. the reverse of the filling.
2: Terrific. Yeah, and and maybe this is good, like uh, flip or 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 callback. At the beginning, you asked that question, what does what's the difference between theology and spirituality? Well, in, in more recent years, because of Jack Caputo and his work, I've also shifted to more theopoetics. The theologic is good, and it can take us to a certain level, it can bring us up halfway through the staircase, right? But there's something when we start devoting ourselves to the poetic language, the metaphorical language, the symbolic language, there's something about God that is more accessible when we start talking poetically rather than logically. And I, the logic mind is good. I'm not saying this wrong. Sure, sure. sure. But the poetic side, and it, I mean, if, as a writer or author, you'd probably agree too. Words yeah. can explode with meaning as yeah. soon as you become artistic with your words. Mm-hmm. And how beautiful Jesus uses parables rather yeah. than paragraphs,
0: you know, to explain <laughs> what God is like. Yeah. Yeah. I love, it. I will be glad you touched on that because you wrote it down and I meant to ask you about the poetics. Oh, yeah. I really like that. Um, yeah. yeah. That's the, I mean, that there's nothing better than a story. Uh, there's so much that's discovered and revealed through that, through narrative yeah. and, yeah, I, I love that man. That's well, good. Hey, it's let's good. It's going
1: long, long much longer. We, we, we got to be a little past hour here, John. Um, hey, is it time?
0: Is it time for a taco story? I, I, I oh think, yeah, let's do it. I think we got to talk tacos. Okay.
2: <laughs> First off, like, uh, I didn't have tacos last night. It was Tuesday, but I did have a burrito at like hey. the best Mexican place in town. It's really awesome, but. Nice. My favorite taco story is I just got off the plane. I was visiting a friend in San Diego and it was my first time there. This is maybe like 20 years ago. Yeah. He's like, ah, you're here. We're going to only eat Mexican food today. I was like, okay, it's fine. Didn't seem like it was that impressive to me at the moment. But he took me to a taco place and I can't, I want maybe Baja Taco or something. It was this small little taco shack. And it was kind of on the side of the road, kind of had a nice view of the Pacific, but it was small. I went in and I ordered three tacos and hands down, they were the best fish tacos I've ever had because they were like lime and they weren't spicy, but they were kind of sweet and um, soft shell taco. Yeah. And at the time I was still skateboarding a lot. right, And I finished eating. I was like, "This was amazing," and then the waitress came out. We paid our bill, and she had a giant smile on her face. I was like, "You're having a great day. This is awesome. It's is a great place." She's like, "I just met Tony Hawk." I'm like, "What?" They're like, "Oh yeah, he just came in at the table next to you." No, nice. he left like two minutes before you got here. I was like, "I could have met Tony Hawk over tacos." <laughs> like that would have been first off, they're fantastic. It doesn't diminish the tacos, but no, it would have been so cool to sit there next to the guy that did the nine hundred. So it was a ship sailing in the night type thing. We missed each other.
1: Well, but I agree it. John's, it's not just about the quality of taco. It's also something when the taco
0: is consumed
1: with
2: it. Yeah, yeah.
0: That was uh, my right, take. Yeah. Oh, that you.
2: taco is definitely sacramental. It was so <laughs> good.
0: It's all it's all of it, right? I I noticed that too. It was a, you were with a friend, uh, yeah. you were in a new place, uh, a very cool uh, view. All the rest of it, you got Tony Hawk making an appearance, and yeah. then the taco. It's it's the whole experience, it's like experiential man. It's the that's it. Long. I love what? it. It's the whole. you gotta
2: have an episode someday on the spirituality of tacos and go as deep <laughs> as you can. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. We totally do need to do that.
1: Be, thank um,
2: you so much, man, for being with us today
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a website
2: com, but then on I think it's on all social media I'm that John Chafee John Chafee was already taken and I didn't want to be the John Chafee
0: because that sounds pretentious
2: so <laughs> that John Chafee
0: yeah that John Chafee so at that John Chafee on Twitter, Instagram, all those places
2: yep yep awesome so, Awesome! Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun, and I, right. I I didn't realize that we went over time, but this was a real joy. Thank you, man. It,
0: I, we could go Good. another hour. I have a feeling. Uh, yeah, absolutely, man. Loved it. Loved everything about this conversation. Hey guys, so glad you joined us in rethinking God with tacos. You can find me, Jason Clark, online at afamilystory.org, where I encourage you to sign up on our mailing list. We send out an email twice a month, letting you know about new podcasts, articles and new books or products that we have coming out. Plus occasionally I'll keep you up on my schedule where I'm traveling. My Twitter handle is at Jason Clark is I'm on Instagram under the same handle and you can find me on Facebook as well. Yeah.
1: And my name is Derek Turner, Jason and I love that you're listening to us. Thank you for all your feedback. Please write in, let us know what's going on in your life. But uh, we are pursuing a mission to help people rethink God. And we thank you for being a part of it. Uh, You can find me at Pastor Derek T on all the socials. And then, of course, I pastor a church here in Charlotte, North Carolina called River Church, rivercharlotte.com. Come and join us. We'd love to have you.
0: Hey, all of these podcasts are available on all the platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google.
1: Yeah. Hey, make sure and like, share, and throw a review out there. Let people know. We love good reviews on the podcast. It helps people find us. That's right. So if this is a podcast that you enjoy, then please promote it, share it, give it a good five-star rating. I like that. That's a good idea.
0: Hey, love doing this journey with you praying grace and wonder over you today.